if you'd open up your books to, uh, your Bibles to 2 Peter, I'd greatly appreciate it. 2 Peter, chapter 1. You know, I, I've called this week's message Intentional Living. And I want you to think about two words that surround the word intentional. First, the, the word intentional. It is a, a, a phrase or a word that's used a lot in our day, being intentional in our lives. But I'd like you to pair another word with it. And that word is diligent or diligence. I am convinced that in my life, I cannot be intentional if I'm not diligent. And I know I'm not going to be diligent unless I'm intentional in how I approach life. I'm a big sports buff. You know, the Open is going on right now. And uh, one of the guys in the lead is one of my favorite golfers. And I can only imagine how many golf balls he has hit in his life. He's now 46 years old, you know, old by sports standards in some sense, you know, but I can't imagine. And so he has been very intelligent, very diligent to practice, 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 practice. I can only imagine how many footballs Peyton Manning threw in his life to be able to be as an accomplished person. He had to be intentional, and he had to be diligent about it. Larry Bird, one of the best scorers in the NBA, uh, you know, he had a routine where he would go out and shoot 500 times before a game. Intentionality and diligence, they go hand in hand. Now, they, they all did it for success, and are doing it for success, you and I, as we approach this Christian life, we are approaching it for God's glory alone. Amen? Amen. Wanting to be in in that intentional mode, diligently approaching all that we know in God, wanting to grow in his grace. You know, when we look around the world today, we could get sidetracked. I mean, really sidetracked with all the ugliness that is there. We could get locked into maybe some things like fear or maybe some things like apathy. Who cares? Or just remain stagnant. My life doesn't matter in the whole course of things for some reason. Some of you, a lot of you know that uh, back in March, uh, God uh, called Diane and I to a new journey. Uh, And it's been a challenging one. And I want you to know that I share this this morning with Diane's blessing. In the middle of March, about a week before Easter, um, we thought she was having a stroke and we ended up up at uh, Swedish Medical Center, and it was found that she had a bacterial infection right on her brain stem that impacted her uh, in many ways like a stroke, but in some ways uh, far worse because of how it affected her vision. 
during this time, I've come to realize another group of people who live with intentionality and diligence, and they're called therapists. (laughs) Uh, My poor wife has been through so many therapy sessions and therapists uh, since this all began and after she was diagnosed and the recovery part part in the as well as all of the antibiotics that she's been giving it's physical therapy speech therapy eye therapy vision therapy cognitive therapy so many different kinds of physical therapy now she's in neurological physical therapy that really Uh, is making a difference in her life. One of the first cognitive therapy sessions that she had was a gal wanting her to put three words in alphabetical order. And so uh, the gal would say, best cars ever. Well, that was easy. They're in alphabetical order. You know, or she would do something else, <laughs> even when she. And so Diane would have to think through it and replace it. She had done about four sets, five sets, and she sat there in front of Diane, and she's watching her face and how she spoke and for the speech therapist as well, and and she goes, the doctor said. Now, you and I would sit back and say, doctor said the. And, but she immediately just looked at her and said, no more monkeys jumping on the bed. <laughs> now, some of you are so young, you have no clue what that's all about. But we have this little music box at home that we had for our children and now we have for our grandchildren and and they like to crawl over and pull themselves up and and tap it. And when you tap it, one of those songs plays, whether it's Farmer in the Dell or, or whatever. And one of the favorites is No More Monkeys Jumping on the Bed. And I want you to know that our two, two youngest grandsons, that is their favorite. They're playing it all the time. And I want you to know that one of them's got rhythm and the other one doesn't. But she, the, the therapist, turned around and goes, where did that come from? What, what's going on? And, and her daughters and I are standing there, our daughters, are standing there, we're laughing because she thought it was some weird old memory. And we realized, no, it's something that we do at home today. I am so thankful for the diligence of intentional therapists because of how far Diane has come back. How about you and I? How about our spiritual life? How intentional are we in approaching our life in Christ? How diligent do we approach it day by day, moment by moment? Let's pray. 
Our Father and our God, I just want to thank you so much for your goodness and the wonder of your love. Father, as we walk through these verses of Scripture this morning, I pray that your Spirit would take your living word and plunge it deep into my heart, our hearts, for your glory and your glory alone. Father, I know that your earnest desire is to meet every need in our lives. And you have declared that you will, no matter where we're at. Father, how I pray that that becomes a vibrant truth here today for each and every one of us, whether they're listening online or whether they're present here today. Oh, Father, meet with us in a profound way, for it's in your Son's name I pray. Amen. Intentional living. Second Peter. The first word that I like to remind us of, if you and I are going to live intentionally and diligently, is the word grace. The word grace. Look at the first four verses with me. We'll just go through them slowly. It says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. You know, you and I are reminded of the fact that Peter kind of blew it the last day that our Lord was alive on this earth, and and he denied Christ three times. But then we also know that when the Lord rose from the dead and he met Peter on the beach, that he restored him. And, And he asked him, do you love me? Oh, yes, Lord, I love you. Tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Well, yes, Lord, you know I do. Ah, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. Come on, give me a break. Yeah, he didn't say that. I did. But then serve me. And now he's calling himself a bond servant. One who is sold out to the cause of Christ in his day. Notice who he's writing to, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is writing this to believers. He is writing it to every level of believer. And this letter is going to be filled with warnings and encouragement. And he's going to start with the directive or the commands that should bring encouragement to their hearts and give them a vision to live life intentionally for the glory of God, diligently for the glory of God. He goes on and says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace. I'll tell you, in our day and age and Christian lives, I think it's amazing of how much you and I need the depth 
of the peace of Christ in our hearts so that our hearts are not filled with turmoil because of the external things that are happening in the world. So many, so many folks come and their lives are just filled with chaos and not experiencing that peace that Christ yearns for you and I to celebrate in the midst of the turmoil, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the chaos of life. I know even for myself, when the day that Diane was going to be diagnosed and everything up in, up in uh, Denver, uh, we had one of those crazy storms and uh, they got over two foot up in Englewood where the hospital is. And so uh, Pastor Eric couldn't make it up. Our daughters couldn't make it to us. And so it was Diane and I, you know, and I sat in the pre-surgery room before a brain biopsy and I, I literally am saying in my heart and mind, God, I've been here so many times for other people, but now it's, it's us. <laughs> it's my wife and I'm pleading, help. How do I, how do I look at her at this moment in life when uh, her speech is already being impaired or thinking, uh, how, what do I say? And the Lord led me to Romans chapter 8. And uh, so I could reassure her that she will never, ever be separated from the love of God, and neither would I. <laughs> and in her halting voice, she looks at me, and this is just before they take her away. Uh, she goes, I choose Jeremiah 29, 11. I said, yeah, God doesn't intend it for evil. And then because she's a pastor's wife, as she was rolling out, (laughs) she looked up at me and she goes, I know it was intended for Israel, but today it's mine. Peace. The wonders of peace in Christ, and you and I can experience it no matter where we are, not because of who we are, but because of who we are in Christ and what we are with Christ in us and through the power of his spirit and the joy of his love letter in our hearts. And he says to these people who are being persecuted, forced out of homes, losing their jobs, those who are being surrounded by false teachers. And he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I want you to know, folks, no matter where you and I are today, God's grace and peace is available for us and we can walk in it in such a profound way that people will look at us and wonder, how do they do it? And we can celebrate with them the reason of our hope in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? That is God's design. He yearns for Diane and I to grow in his grace during this time to celebrate his peace. Verse 3, as 
His divine, and this is one sentence, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue. Now think about that. He doesn't say some things that pertain to life. He says all things, everything that you and I need for this life while we walk this earth and you and I have been called to celebrate him during this 21st century, during in the midst of the chaos of the world, he has called you and I to live within that and to walk godly. You and I, if you and I choose to walk willfully or sinfully, what we're saying is that God can't do it. And I want you to know God yearns to do it. No matter the calamity, no matter the temptation or the lust, he yearns to minister and be revealed in our hearts and lives. He has given us everything. Man, if that's not grace, I don't know what is. Grace. How dare we turn our back on God's grace and peace? If you and I are going to live intentionally, we have to enter into that grace consistently, always rejoicing in it, realizing the cost that it came. Jesus indeed paid it all. Now notice verse 4. I love this. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you and I may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now think about that. Great and precious promises. And your understanding of who God is, I'm going to give you a few moments. We're going to have a few moments of silence. I want you to meditate on that. Great and precious promises. And I want you to know I call on people. So be prepared. I did last night. I want you to share one. A great and precious promise that you know is true for you as a believer. In my previous ministry, as I was leaving, one of the wives looked at me and said, you know, my husband used to struggle staying awake in church until you came because you always ask questions. And I want you to know I wasn't restricted to the box that were here. You know, I'd walk down the aisles and I'd look at people in the eyes. And so my dear friend and my brother, Chris, I love you. Share a precious promise that you know that God's given us. Ah, 
Isn't that an awesome thing? Everlasting life in his presence. Isn't that exceedingly great and precious promise? If that doesn't give you goosebumps, I don't know what will. You know, this life is but a vapor. You know, I wish I had a spray can. Yeah, it's about a vapor compared to eternity. And you and I get to celebrate eternity in heaven because of what we have in Christ. Amen. Edina, oh, his kindness and compassion. The wonder of his kindness and compassion. Ah, you know, after salvation, we are removed from that condemnation. Isn't that an awesome thought? What we have in Christ, the reality of it. My brother Merrill, you put your head down, and I know you don't want to be called upon, but Merrill, give us an exceedingly precious promise, please, brother, that you know of. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Amen. Sometimes they turn us gray and we want to pull our hair out because of the series of life that they go through. Having raised four kids, I can tell you it's true. But what a blessing. Now we have 10 grandchildren. What a blessing. You know, the reality that children are a blessing from the Lord. Ah, and how exciting each one of them is because they're all wired differently. Because as you look around this crowd, I want you to know we're all wired differently. God has created us, and he has, in in the wonder of even the wonders of salvation, he has allowed you and I to become a new creation in him. And he has wired us to serve him, to bring glory to his name, so that people can recognize that you and I are the children of God. And I love that. I'm amazed that God would want to save a wretch like me, let alone take me as his child. Exceedingly precious promises. The book is filled with them, and it is because of his grace. He has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these things we may be partakers of the divine nature. What is that? You and I have been filled with his spirit, and as we walk with him, and as we the second word we're going to look at, grow in his grace. We become like his son. We become Christ-like. People can see Christ in our lives. It is radically changed for his glory. And people want to know. Or they'll mock because they just don't understand. But it doesn't matter. Walking with him. Partakers. Through those things, his grace, his peace, wonders of who Christ is in us, his divine power, ah, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. How intentionally, how diligently do we live in the center of God's grace? I want you to know if we're grieving or quenching the spirit of God with a carnal, rebellious lifestyle, we aren't under the grace of God. We've put up an umbrella and say we don't want it. We don't want to walk in it. We don't want it to be revealed in our lives. We won't experience the peace of God. 
He yearns for us to live there. God's grace. He goes on to growth. Growth. How? He doesn't just ask us to be there, but he tells us wonderfully how practically we get there to be in God's grace and peace. Notice what he says. For this very reason, giving all diligence, add. Add. And I want you to know in the classical Greek, that word add it is talking about like a choir master, uh, a conductor. He is providing all the needs and pointing out to everybody the things that they need to be doing, how they're wired, how they're gifted. Add to our lives. And so as we go through this list of words that God has called us to be applying to our lives, it is building into a great crescendo like the 1812 William Tell Overture, you know, and how great it is. I don't know how many of you have ever been to uh, an actual Philharmonic. How many of you have ever been to one? Uh, Diane and I had the joy in the late 80s to go to New York City and watch uh, and listen to the New York Philharmonic. And uh, the one uh, main section was going to be a piano concerto by Chopin. And they brought out this beautiful piano. And everybody's all seated in the orchestra. And the conductor comes out. And then uh, this gal, this 52-year-old gal, comes out and sits at the piano. And he does a little tap, tap, tap. And gets everybody's attention. And then he starts doing his thing, and then you hear the strings, and then you hear the woodwinds, and then you hear the brass, and then you hear the percussion. And this gal, without one single sheet of music, is just sitting there smiling. And I'm thinking, okay. And then she's looking at the conductor, and her hands get ready, and he cues her, and she just starts playing beautifully along with the orchestra. And I'm just going, whoa. God yearns to do that with your life and my life individually and corporately. And it is only as you and I add these things that we become this vibrant light of God piercing the darkness of the world. Notice what he says, for this very reason, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue. My faith, my genuine trust in Christ and his word and the power of his spirit. Now I'm to add this virtue, this moral and spiritual bravery or courage in an evil world where we come out from among them and be separate, to be totally identified as a child of God. Add to your faith. To grow victoriously to God's moral standard in our lives. And add to virtue knowledge. Knowledge, the truth of God's word, wanting it to be properly applied in my life, being a student of who he has created to me to be, to allow this book to penetrate my heart and my soul, to grow in his grace, having my mind renewed to understand his design and desire for me as his child. 
outside of the body of Christ as a husband, as a dad, as a granddad, and as a pastor within the body of Christ. Before I became a pastor, it was to be a member of the church, the body of Christ, where I was at, yearning to have him grow in my life and to understand him. You know, I want you to know, you attend a church that strives to give you multiple opportunities to grow in your knowledge of him through various Bible studies. The question is, are we going to be intentional to try? Are we going to be diligent to stick with it? Even if it's not our cup of tea at the moment, This year, I'm going to try something different here. We're going to, uh, Gail Wise and I are going to teach the self-confrontation thing, which is really self-confrontation, me and my walk with God. I know my toes are going to be stepped on week after week as I prepare, but yet the reality is I want to take off the old man, put on the new man. Why? Not only so people can see Christ in me, but I can help others who need to take off and put on. And she yearns to do the same thing. It's going to be co-ed. We're going to have multiple ladies' Bible studies, multiple men's studies. You have great opportunities. We have studies throughout the week at different times. We yearn to meet your needs. We yearn for you to be able to add to your faith that virtue and that knowledge. And then he goes on to knowledge, self-control. Self-control, that literal dying to self, realizing that the old man has been crucified, the old man has been crucified with Christ, becoming victorious in our walk, not wanting to serve ourselves all the time, wanting to serve Christ, our Savior, consistently in our lives. I want you to put those two things together. Knowledge and self-control. I was an adult. I was in my 20s when I trusted Christ as Savior. And because of life, I had adopted a lifestyle that I knew I could get my own way if I was angry. Whether it was with my wife, my kids, at the workplace, All they had to do is raise up and be angry. And people would usually acquiesce to what I wanted. My spiritual life in the beginning was worse than a yo-yo. Whoop, 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 whoop. Yeah, and a good friend of mine, Larry Siemens, came. He goes, Rich, you're trying to change your whole life all at once. And it's not working, is it? I had walked away from God again. I said, yeah, and that isn't rocket science. (laughs) It's a reality. And he looked at me and he goes, what's what's the biggest snare, the biggest stumbling block in your life preventing you from really growing and experiencing God? And I said, that's easy. It's my anger. And so even before cell phones and texting, he became an accountability partner and he began walking me through scriptures 
to realize that I could take off this and put on kindness and compassion and love. And radically, my life began to change, and our kids began to see it. My wife began to experience it. And the church sat in awe because they knew what kind of a man I had been, both in the community. I want you to know, through God's grace and through the wonder of his love, in adding to my life, these things I want you to know that I now know not only are scripturally true, but are true in my own life. I want you to know this. I now know I am completely forgiven. 100% forgiven. I began, though I said I was saved, I I still said, well, you he really didn't forgive this over here and that over there. I want you to know, because his word says so, I am completely forgiven and so are you. You and I do not have to live in bondage to the things of the past. We have been forgiven. I love this. <laughs> his presence in my life is real. Consistently real. Real. The power of his spirit in my life is there all the time, whether I choose to recognize it or not. It is there. It is real. It is his grace gift to us. His joy in my life is real. Christ said, my joy I give unto you. Sometimes life stinks. Sometimes life hurts. Sometimes, but I want you to know that I can walk in the joy of being the son of God being in the very presence of God, being adopted into that family. And I want you to know that family is awesome. That's why we go from self-control and adding to that this wonder called perseverance. And I was tired of giving up on God. And Larry made me see I don't need to, that In life, I can walk through life his way. How many of you uh, enjoy the poem, Footprints? Yeah, everybody carries them. Have it on the wall, maybe at home someplace. And it's because we all know that he carries us through the most difficult times of our lives. You and I can have that endurance, that enduring patience in life, no matter what's happening to us because of who Christ is in us. And Christ can be revealed. (laughs) James, he had the audacity to say, count it all joy when you fall into divers' trials. (sighs) How dare he? And on the bottom line, he says, because it's faith, and endurance, and when they're added together, they are a beautiful crescendo in God's throne. Notice how it goes on into perseverance, godliness, a genuine devotion to God, a consistent devotion to God, a committed devotion to God, where we mean the song, the words that we sing in our songs, where we mean in our heart and life that we are a child of God and we yearn to be seen as his child. 
and to that brotherly kindness, that compassion and care that comes within the body of Christ that we now can serve one another. And may I share this? So many of you have reached out to Diane and I. Your love and compassion to us has helped strengthen us in the midst of some of the worst days of my life. Certainly the worst days of her life. And it's been because of you and your care and your reaching out, your consistent prayers for us, giving us the strength. I want you to know, I sat in the hospital room for 14 days with her, and I'm thinking, I've got to retire. I've got to stop, I, you know. But because of the love and compassion of others, the body of Christ doing what it's supposed to do, bring about that unity and that care and that strength. That is what brotherly kindness is. And then we're to add to our brotherly kindness what? Love. It is that agape love that we receive from God. Therefore, we become the vessels that we can share that, that venue to where we can share the same love we've received in the wonders of salvation. We can impart that to others for his glory and his glory alone. We live in a dark world. We live in a nation where people are hurting and they just yearn to have something to cling to. You and I know the truth. It is Jesus Christ crucified, risen again, and you and I can share that with a lost and dying world so that they can come out of the darkness and have hope and trust and grace and peace. We can share it within the body of Christ with people who are hurting. Grace, growth, you and I will not do it unless we are in intentional in our lives, and diligent. And notice what he ends up with, number three, authenticity. Notice what he says. Notice how he ends this paragraph. He says, for if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things are short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble, for so as the entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Having a kingdom perspective, living a life that is authentic in, in God's eyes, having a genuineness to our faith, something that is real in our lives. A few Wednesdays ago during our staff devotions, Pastor Eric asked us all our favorite book, you know, and then kind of like me, because people weren't voicing them, he began selecting people. <laughs> yeah. And he came to me, and I said, well, this might sound a little odd, but my favorite book is a children's book called The Velveteen Rabbit. 
Not the picture book that you have for kids, though this is part of it, but the whole book that was written. And this is the reason why I like it, because it talks to us about what is real. And there is this rabbit, this velveteen rabbit, who asked the skin horse, the oldest toy in the child's room, what it means to be real. And he goes, real isn't how we're made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt, asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind it being hurt. Does it happen all at once? Or like being wound up like the other toys? Or is it bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp edges or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off, your eyes drop out, you get loose in the joints, and everything is shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. I want you to know that God loves us as his child and he is holding on tight and he yearns to use you and I and to allow us to grow in his grace to become authentic in our walk with him. And then he gives us this beautiful reminder. Notice what it says in verse 12. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. (coughs) Excuse me. Though you know and are established in this present truth, yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, this earthly tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. I want you to know when I hit that... I'm going, how is he going to remind them after he has gone home to be with the Lord? It could be simply stated through the letter that he is writing, through the power of his spirit. But I want you to know he has a bigger plan in mind. He has a plan that captures exactly what Paul shared with Timothy. He goes, Timothy, I want you to share everything that I have taught you to faithful people. Why? so that they can grow in Christ, so that they can share it with other people. And so it becomes this wonderful generational reminder that you and I have the grace of God. You and I can grow in the grace of God. You and I are called to be authentic in the eyes of God and in the heart of God, and we can do it. And so the question is, Where are you today? Where am I in our walk? Are we 
truly being intentional in our walk with God? Are we being diligent? I want you to know something. Does God's love ever stop pouring out into the life of a believer? Mo, you're shaking your head. Say it out loud. No, absolutely not. He never does. And he won't. And the question is, is whether we're going to enter into God's grace and allow it to be something that really becomes a fiber of our soul and our being in such a profound way that we are seen as authentic children of light in the midst of darkness, truly making a difference for the glory of God. You know, I pray that the Lord will come. I want you to know that. I want you to know that even in this letter, by the time we get to chapter 3, he reminds them that the day of the Lord is ahead. But he has also warned them about false teachers. He shared with them that persecution is going to be there, and he yearns for them to walk through it in such a profound way that they bring glory to the kingdom of God. And then notice in chapter 3 how this ends, this beautiful letter. Look at chapter 3, verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. And also our beloved brethren, brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him and written to you, as also in all of his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which you are, which are some hard things to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist, to their own destruction as they do also in the rest of scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, be aware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away by the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. That's God's yearning and desire for you and I. You and I just need to be intentional and authentic diligently walking with him.